Imagine an organization that wants to unlock the value of their data, but their data is too sensitive. Imagine a data scientist who wants to work on very rare data, but she cannot access them. With FitChain, organizations and individuals can unlock the value of their data instantly, connecting them to data scientists who have an incentive to work on a solution. No confidential information will ever leave the organization, which, thanks to FitChain, can keep their industrial secrets while enjoying the endless benefits of machine learning. But wait, there's more. Data owners can monetize their data. Data scientists can monetize their models. With a team of experts in AI and blockchain technology, FitChain allows highly regulated environments from domains like healthcare, research and development, and banking to take advantage of machine learning without compromising the thing we value most, confidentiality. Visit FitChain.io and unlock the value of your data. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Cadaletta. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes artificial intelligence easy for everyone. In uh, this episode, I decided to take a break from uh, data science as predictive models and artificial intelligence and explain some of the data-related mechanisms that are putting our privacy at risk and, in many cases, violating it. Data, of course, is a complex topic, not only related to machine learning algorithms, but also and especially to privacy and security of individuals. The same individuals who create such data just by using the many mobile apps and services that characterize their digital life. Today, I am together with Brandon Mendelssohn, author of Social Media is Bullshit from St. Martin's Press and a world-renowned speaker on issues involving the myths and realities involving today's internet platforms. Brandon has a new book about privacy and uh, he sent me a free copy of uh, Privacy and How to Get It Back that I read in a bit more than one day. <laughs> that was enough to realize how much we have in common when it comes to data and data collection. So let's start from the beginning and uh, let's welcome Brandon to Podcast Data Science at Home. Hi, Brandon. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Brandon, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners of Data Science at Home? Sure. I, I guess the condensed version would be uh, I'm the author of the cult classic, Social Media is Bullshit, uh, a former marketing consultant and now a key book, keynote speaker and a uh, comic book writer on the side. Cool. So we both know that, um, uh, and I quote here, once data is worth a fortune and uh, as for any other asset, uh, fortunes are beneficial to some, while some others, well, they will have to pay for it. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, that's indeed the case. One of the things I used to do as a marketing person was something called digital reputation management, uh, or often just abbreviated as DRM, uh, which is an expensive and fancy way of saying, I make bad things about to disappear. And those services are typically very expensive. We're talking about at least minimum $15,000. Uh, per month and most people can't afford that kind of thing. So this is just one example where people are making a ton of money off the management and expulsion of some people's data All the while the rest of us who may not be thinking too far ahead 
uh, could be affected by their data and pay for its utilization later through something like a denial of loan or a denial of a job or even a home. All right. So, well, let, let me start this episode with some claims that I, I took from your book. And uh, these claims are not just provocative, but really true facts uh, that we will be expanding on in, in the course of this episode. So let me drop some bombs here uh, from your book. So I'm not going to take any responsibility of what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, all right, let, let me enumerate them. So number one, Unroll.me um, was selling information to other companies like Uber. I personally used um, Unroll.me uh, until it became more annoying than the emails it was filtering. For those who are not familiar with Enroll Me, it was a, a an online service service that basically went through all your inbox and and filtered um, what was considered um, kind of spam, but you know um, stuff that you people didn't really want to to, to receive. Number two, um, anonymized data is a bullshit concept, and, and that's uh, that's already we need one episode <laughs> only for that. <laughs> Right. Uh, number three, social media is bullshit. Number four, tech companies are lying to us about our privacy. And that happens every time that we use that, quote, free, free, free platform. Uh, number five, the terms of service is the equivalent of bullying. Uh, this this is quite an interesting one. I, I, I want to expand on that specifically. On that. Sure. <laughs> and number six, do you really believe the bullshit Snapchat told you about deleting your pictures? All right, so let me put myself comfortable here because we have a lot to talk about today. So be aware, listener, if you think you can't make it, disconnect right now. <laughs> it's, it is a lot to cover. It can be overwhelming, but I'm glad we're having this conversation, especially this week, given uh, all the news going on in the States. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Well, so, of course, Unroll Me is just one of the many services that sell people's data without sharing the profits. Uh, many other companies not, not even pay taxes to the governments in the countries they operate. But that's, of course, another story. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> so what is really, what is creepy with Google, Instagram, Spotify? And then also what is creepy with artificial intelligence and machine learning? Sure, well... So the services themselves aren't creepy, right? I mean, Google is just a search engine ultimately, but it's what they do with the information that you put into it, uh, with what they do with your stuff, for lack of a better term, that, that's where it starts to get kind of creepy. You know, Google is great to find what you're looking for, but it records a ton of information about you in the process. And that information is then packaged and sold to advertisers without your knowledge or consent. This could lead to some annoying or downright creepy experiences where you're getting ads for things you might not want, uh, are things you might not want other people to know about. Or, you know, you yourself might not want to see those ads, but the system has guessed you would be interested in those things based on keystrokes that you might have put into Google like a year ago. Um, so the creepy thing for me is when it comes to machine learning, and, and I say machine learning because AI is just a, a term used to describe things that haven't been invented yet. Um, <laughs> or at least that's the joke that I keep coming across in the AI community. So I'm, I'm just borrowing it as my own. Um, but it's the thing a that's... One. <laughs> yeah, it's well. I mean, I found that I found it mostly be true. So that's why mm -hmm. I tend to go with machine learning. So um, when it comes to machine learning, you know, it's how much trust and faith we we play into it. That's kind of creepy. So if an algorithm says you're a bad hire, and you shouldn't have your resume reviewed, and no one questions that, that to me is terrifying, uh, because we treat the internet and things like machine learning and social media as if it was magic, and it's really not. 
Yeah, the algorithm is just a recipe. It's a way to sort things out and put them in order that produce a great result. But if you're like most people, mm-hmm. the odds are pretty good you'll burn your house down while trying to cook <laughs> and follow that recipe. So that's what we have going on here. Yeah, I I, th- I kind of agree with you, even though, you know, I'm a data scientist myself, but, and, you know, what I, I define myself an artificial intelligence architect or AI architect, even though probably you don't know the, the term, but, but that's true. I mean, uh, AI, there is a lot of hype uh, around that word. A lot of, you know, buzzwords are never, I never trust buzzwords. Um, and uh, uh, there are even a few posts on uh, on datascienceatome.com uh, where I kind of, you know, attack the, the, the hype around AI and by just saying, guys, this is just, you know, mathematicians are not really impressed about this because this is just function optimization so, uh, after right. all. So. All right. So going back to the data, who is paying for the data and, and actually who owns this data? Oh, well, we're all paying for it in one way, shape or form. Uh, advertisers, ad agencies and the other entities may pay for the data in hopes that you know, something like Facebook's advertising system actually delivers what it claims to, which honestly is pretty debatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we pay for the data in the forms of like a higher smartphone bill. So if you're on a site and there's a ton of crapware and it starts to drain your battery or it starts eating up the data you have allotted for the month, I mean, you're paying for that, uh, although we don't often think that way. So the tech companies own the data and they can do whatever they want with it because no one reads terms of service, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> And uh, the data is there to do whatever they want, which is kind of amazing when you think about it, considering that it's technically, it's your data, it's your stuff. Why aren't you getting cut in on that? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so, well, I heard, I guess you heard that too, um, a number of times, if you don't pay for it, you are the product. That's something that my gran was used to say, not for internet, of course, but he told me many times, when it's free, be aware of that, that there's, there's a trap somewhere. <laughs> and so if you don't pay for it, you are the product. We have been hearing this many times, probably uh, the movie, The Social Network, I think I heard it there. Uh, but it seems like nobody really cares, at, at least according to the number of users who are daily on, on, on platform and social media like, like Facebook and Twitter or Instagram. Why do you think it's that? Well, I mean, it's hard to say for, with certainty. I mean, I always try to approach these things as logically as I can. I mean, there's, there's 65 million people that have ad blockers installed. Um, so those people do care. Uh, but it's it's not that nobody cares. It's just they don't know what to do. So most people will tell you, you know, they're concerned about their privacy and how their data is used. The problem is they don't know what, you know, what comes next besides, you know, deleting Facebook, which really doesn't even begin to mm-hmm. resolve the, the creepiness of Facebook uh, in the United States. The tech companies are able to run wild because we have a system that represents the higher donor and not the people who vote. Um, and so it's sort of like, okay, well, we're a little helpless. Whereas in the EU, uh, they do have GDPR, which, while not perfect, does put the power back in the hands of the consumers to a greater extent than you would see elsewhere in the world. Yeah. And we will go back to the GDPR um, case uh, scenario in, in a minute. Now, how important is data for companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter? I mean, it, it seems to be a trivial question, but I just want to you know, put the listener's attention on this. I think it's an important question because um, I, I think people don't realize that uh, Amazon is kind of an exception, but Facebook is just a repository for your stuff. Hmm. I mean, Google is only useful based on how often you use it. So. Without the data that we're constantly pumping into it, these these services are nowhere near as valuable uh, as the tech companies would like others to think they are. 
So basically, you're saying that we are Google and Facebook. Yes, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Interesting. So say we all. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking about large amounts of data, um, it's quite uh, normal to refer to the the concept of you know the so-called big data. So, what is the definition that people have given to the term big data? So big data, it's kind of a nebulous term like social media where it was something that was coined to repackage and sell stuff that already existed uh, in order to sell more services. I like to sell IBM cloud services or Amazon web storage services. So, I mean, the history of it is that big data got started referring to having too much information to put on one device. So it had noble origins, but we just uh, somewhere along the way got corrupted the same way social media did. And it doesn't really mean much of anything these days. It's sort of, it's almost like AI where if we don't know how to describe something, we just use the buzzwords. We'll just say, oh, that's big data. <laughs> I mean, I, I found that many times. Um, the thing is that uh, every time I speak to someone and I ask, what's your definition of big data? I always have a different one. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, the fact that, uh, however, uh, corporations uh, have been collecting data, I mean, this is not a new thing. I mean, uh, they have been collecting data, sharing it with, with governments, especially in the U.S. Um, this is a phenomenon that is probably older than, than 100 years. What is so different today? I think the only real difference is the, the technology allows for it to happen at a, at a greater speed. Uh, you know, in the United States, we've been spying on our citizens almost since the beginning of the country. Uh, the story I like to tell people is Abraham Lincoln and the War Department used to listen in on messages being sent over the telegraph. And if something was disruptive to their recruitment efforts or something that was very pro-Confederacy, uh, they would go and shut those people down. You know, they would Jesus arrest them. Christ. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's on the same that, that we're talking about. Uh, so today, you know, today we, we have the tools to better do that uh, at a quicker and faster rate. And we really saw that happen beginning in 1917. Uh, and we haven't looked back since. So, um, yeah, that's really the only big difference. Okay, so so speak at least speaking about Americans, it's kind of in their DNA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, we we have always been a, a paranoid and fearful lot. So um, spying on each other is just one. It's as American as apple pie. <laughs> okay, well, um, I think from your book, I read uh, that ideally companies, uh, you know, these these big corporations like Facebook, they should pay people um, an annual paycheck in, in exchange for collecting and selling uh, people's data to advertisers, or even better, advertisers should pay you directly every time they want your attention. And so they would be basically paying for your time, which makes a lot of sense to me. Now, from a practical perspective, how far are we from there? I mean, we're there now. Uh, and so there's a lot of different forms you can take. Uh, one thing that I wanted to add was uh, there's also the option of paying for something like Facebook along the lines of the way that we pay for Netflix, uh, where you give them like seven or eight dollars a month in, in exchange for them not being creepy. Uh, so that's always one option <laughs> as well. But the two that I focused on, I think it's another year uh, with all these bad headlines, especially what's going on right now with Cambridge Analytica. Mm -hmm. um, and you got a congressional election coming up in the United States. So I think the pressure right now is at its highest and probably will peak again in 2020 for the American government to, to push for regulation. And then once that happens, we'll see the door open a bit uh, for paying people directly for their time and attention. Um, because that might be the only way a Facebook company or a company like them can survive. Mm. So 
the only difference between now and, and 2011 when they first started talking about paying people in exchange for their time and attention, which is something that originated with Jerome Lanier, uh, and in back, going back even further to 2000 with the Lawrence Lessing debates, is that we now have cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And I know that those are, in a lot of respects, completely overhyped, and the blockchain is <laughs> completely overhyped. But we do have things out there uh, like the basic attention token, which which right now is utilized uh, where you can pay people for your time you spent on the site or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone like Tesla could pay you in exchange for looking at an advertisement. So the tech is there. We just need a, a good hard shove. And mm-hmm. the nice thing is uh, I used to do the Nielsen television surveys and they would give you $5 filling out like this stupid journal over the course of a week. But it would take forever to get that $5, whereas today, through things like the basic attention token or tools like Flexa, which would allow you to spend the cryptocurrencies in store, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have that weight. You can just get paid immediately. Yeah, well, I think that crypto is not the new AI at this point. And, <laughs> and <laughs> right. also that they do not regulate crypto so much to slow down adoption. But, but that's indeed a, a very interesting point and, and, and use case. Um, that would indeed facilitate, you know, this payment um, uh, across channels um, to the to the direct individual. Um, now, just by using the internet, I mean, we, we are on the internet as as we speak, and uh, my internet service provider probably already knows that I'm speaking to to Brandon Mendelson. Uh, so I have surrendered my privacy <laughs> to the to my ISP. Uh, am I doomed? To, to, to surrender my privacy to everyone? Uh, you know, I saw this question I've been getting a lot. Like, after after I talk about the book, immediately it's like, oh, well, that was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> this is typically the response. I don't, but I don't look at it that way. Um, I think I'm more optimistic in that. Now, now there's an awareness of what's been going on, whereas when I first started, you know, when I wrote Social Media is Bullshit, I wrote it in 2011. Mm-hmm. So it was easier back then for the tech companies to be like, ah, oh, no, we don't, we don't do that sort of thing. Um, whereas now everyone's kind of aware of, oh, okay, I see what you're doing with my data. So I, I think books like this can help us not be doomed. I think it empowers us to just push for that change. And then that's 70% of the mm-hmm. problem. Uh, we know that there's something going on, but we, we need to take the steps in order to fix it. So uh, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I, I really do think that change is coming. Maybe not as fast as we want, but it is coming. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, if you're optimistic, I am as well. I mean, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> now, for those who are really optimistic, let's, uh, let's tell them by just using a web browser, what happens? Like, what does a web browser collect on a daily basis? Well, the short, the short and glib answer <laughs> is everything. Um, but just to give, I mean, that, that's the honest answer, uh, but just to give some examples. So like the, the amount of time you spent on a website, the keystrokes uh, that you might have entered and then deleted while visiting a site or forms that you filled out, your location while you're doing that browsing, you know, the push notifications that you've signed up for and the list goes on and on and on. Um, but yeah, you, so I mean, but it also depends on the browser. Mm-hmm. So like if you use Edge or Chrome, um, you're giving up a lot of data, whereas if you use Firefox, you're giving up less data, and then you mm. use something like Brave, you're not giving up any data. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, some folks at Google, um, they actually uh, check your keystrokes with the attempt to improve the typo correction. <laughs> and so they <laughs> right. And so they basically spy, kind of spy millions of people, what people 
type with their on their Android devices, and uh, and try to to um, train machine learning models that that improve the the spell checker. Um, and I would, you know, honestly, I would be okay with. So my whole thing with this is that I'm not against the collection of data for the purposes like that. Because ultimately that leads to a better user experience and that just makes people happy, which makes me mm -hmm. happy. Uh, the problem is what else is done with that data once it's collected. And and more often than not, we find that it's not always being used in the way that we're right. being told. Right, right, right. So yeah, indeed, that's that's the biggest, when data get out of control, basically. Um, well, as a matter of fact, it uh, doesn't matter if it's time, keystrokes, site visited, whatever. Uh, as a matter of fact, people buy a, a device, an iPad, a, a mobile phone, and companies use that device to collect personal data. And, and then they sell around this data and make billions, apparently. So this is extremely annoying, I know. Now, what should people do to prevent this? So you have to understand that, I mean, in the United States alone, uh, and I don't know what it is overseas in Europe, but 19% of our GDP is tied up with all of this, with the data, with the packaging and selling of uh, user data. So uh, <laughs> the power really isn't in the people's hands to fix it. It, it has to come down to government intervention. And uh, if people don't like government intervention, then maybe a, a third party lobbying group that uh, asks the tech companies to make a change, sort of like what happened in the video game industry in the 90s, um, where the government said, if you don't fix this, we're going to fix it for you. And that's how uh, all the American video games came up with a rating system. So putting, so this is a debate that's been going on. I know I'm going a little, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important. The, the, the debate that's happening right now with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, uh, Facebook blamed the users. That was part of their, you know, you downloaded this thing and it's your responsibility for not knowing the terms right. of service. But uh, most people don't, and most people don't even understand what a VPN or two-factor authentication is mm -hmm. or how to activate it. So putting the power in the hands of the people doesn't solve anything. The, the power has to be in the hands of the representatives and the tech companies themselves to make these changes. Well, in the attempt of doing some social awareness, um, I, I even tried myself with, with some friends and colleagues. And um, I ended up meeting the usual friend or colleague who claimed um, that all is fine and she has nothing to hide. Uh, now, I don't know you, but... I have many friends like that. So uh, how about starting from the I have nothing to hide argument? Yeah, I, th I found it's pretty prevalent. In, uh, so I am technically a millennial, as much as I hate that term. But um, I found in a generation behind me, you know, the Gen Z or whatever they're calling uh, those kids, that they all have that I have nothing to hide as like a default setting because um, mm -hmm. they've grown up with it. So they don't realize necessarily what's happening with right. the data. So uh, I think it was Glenn Greenwald who first said, you know, if you have nothing to hide, give me all your passwords. Uh, and <laughs> what's happened is whenever he said it, is that people immediately will freeze up and be like, well, well I'm not going to give you my password, uh, which then mm -hmm. in turn means you, you do have something to hide. So uh, right. because they may say they have nothing to hide, that, that doesn't really mean it's the case um, because we all we don't walk around naked all day. Uh, I mean, we all have something to hide on a very basic level. Uh, this is one of the things I like telling people is um, there's been a lot of research into this. And so it's a fun fact. Uh, do you know what men obsess about the most? Mm, I, I don't think so. Please. Go ahead. Okay. So 
the thing that men obsess about the most is the size of their dick in relation <laughs> to the size of another man's dick. Uh, this has been proven time and time again in psychological studies. So uh, if we strip that argument to its core of I have nothing to hide, the short answer is that most men seem to actually think uh, they have something to hide. <laughs> and it's usually, and more often than not, I don't want to stereotype too much, more often than not, it's usually the guy who makes the obnoxious argument of having nothing to hide. So uh, that's my response to that. <laughs> it's very funny, but it's actually, it's very true. I mean, uh, it's, it's funny because it's true, <laughs> as always. <laughs> now, of course, uh, things are kind of changing, uh, at least in Europe. Um, and to be honest with you, I've, I've never been so proud as European now that the GDPR is uh, a fact more than a, a proposal, uh, GDPR, for those who are not familiar with, um, stands for uh, General Data Protection Regulation. And uh, if Steve Jobs were alive, he would say, this is an insanely great regulation <laughs> about sensitive <laughs> private data. I like that. <laughs> um, that, that is, of course, it's, it, it's giving a lot of headaches to, to the Facebooks and Amazons of the world, especially also to the Googles of the world. And to be very honest, I, I criticized the GDPR um, a bit more than a year ago when uh, it was quite a messed up proposal. Uh, but now it makes a lot of sense as uh, I think as a consumer and an individual who feels uh, that his privacy is, is being violated every time I connect to a, a stupid Wi-Fi. Now, of course, we need an entire episode to go through the GDPR regulation. <laughs> there is one point, though, that is... Uh, Actually, it's it's a very interesting point and very demanding from a from a technological perspective, uh, which is so-called the right to be forgotten, uh, also known as the obligation from companies to delete your data, or the data of a user, upon a request. Now, many companies have implemented this uh, not to be charged very expensive fees. But when do you think this regulation will be extended globally? Uh, because, uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, U.S. have nothing like that yet. And, and please don't tell me that Donald Trump is the reason because that's not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, that's very true. Um, historically, the United States has only made changes incrementally. Um, usually, you know, the example I give people uh, is the issue of slavery in the United States where you would figure something as inhumane and cruel as that would have been abolished from day one. But it took 90 years in the Civil War uh, and then even then, it wasn't smooth sailing after uh, the passage of the 13th Amendment. So that's mm -hmm. just the context of the way the American government has always functioned um, since the beginning. So we're more reactionary. Um, I say that because I would be shocked mm -hmm. if we don't see a major political candidate for president um, that has that as part of the platform and, and has something like GDPR mm -hmm. uh, and pushes for it. Because I think now it's finally in the air. Uh, and I think that, you know, that, that incremental change they talked about, it's been going around for about 10, 15 years now. Uh, so I think we're finally at that point where I'd say, you know, in 2020, that's where I would peg it and, and say that's probably when we're going to see it in the United States. Um, of course, the, the problem here is that the Democrats have long been in the pocket of uh, the tech companies, which is why the Obama administration and Clinton administration basically slapped them on the wrist. Mm. Uh, them, I mean Facebook and Google and Amazon at most turns. Uh, even the DOJ, you know, the DOJ went after Microsoft, but it was ultimately Microsoft that said, you know what, we're going to take a step back and we're going to solve this problem on our own. Mm. Um, and the Republicans don't like any regulation. So be between the two parties, like it's easy not to me not to be optimistic, but I think there's finally enough people that are angry mm -hmm. and, uh, and we, we could see the change. But 
uh, part of me, part of me does not want to hold my breath, but um, the other part of me wants to be optimistic about finally seeing that happen. Hmm. And do you think the adoption of a GDPR-like regulation from the states could dramatically change the global picture of privacy? I do. I mean, I know, I know people don't. I know people don't typically like sharing this opinion, but it's easy to forget that, for better or worse, or for right or wrong, the United States does have an influence on the rest of the world. Um, that's been true since the Declaration of Independence, as well as the Gettysburg Address, um, both of which have been heavily borrowed and utilized in many other founding documents throughout the world. Um, so I, I think that if we do something, even if we have an idiot in charge of the country right now, that other people will look and, and say, okay, well, if the Americans are doing it, then mm. uh, maybe we'll follow suit. I mean, that, that's what happened that got this privacy thing going in the first place. In the United States during World War One, we, you know, or just before our entry into World War One. We passed the Espionage Act, and we said that um, this is going to be the law going forward, is that we're going to spy on our citizens. And that led uh, to the United Kingdom implementing its own version of, of that sort of thing, and then other countries following suit from there. So um, there is definitely like a monkey see, monkey do thing <laughs> when it comes to the United States. And so I think when we finally do it, you will see it spread. Yeah. Also because we live in a global world. So, I mean, when these, these regulations cannot be really local anymore in, in a sense. Right. Yeah. You know, honestly, I, I hope that we copy GDPR. Oh, yeah. Me too, man. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> that, that's my hope is that we don't, we just, instead of, instead of uh, us taking charge, we just go, you know what? They got it right. Let's do it here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Europeans are the pioneers of this yep. GDPR-like thing. Um, so, I mean, for, for what I understand here, um, which is also, I think, the recurring theme, theme in, your, in, in your book, is to um, fix the problem at the root, uh, which is um, less data to be collected, basically. So if you, know, if you collect less data uh, or, or appropriate data, you should be fine. So I, I would like to summarize this concept in, in, in these terms. If, let's say, you are buying a book and they probably should not be asking your driving license and when you do grocers online, probably <laughs> the name of your first partner as a security question is not really appropriate or the, the name of your grandma. <laughs> But on the other <laughs> side, there are, you know, other guys and, and these guys, you know, these data scientists who, who say that they need more data so that data algorithms work better. So what should we do? Um, so I, I mean, I always, I always say this tongue in cheek, but uh, every time I, I hear we need more data, I think that those particular data scientists are full of shit, uh, <laughs> just looking for job security. I mean, I'm <laughs> kidding when I say that. Um, you know, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that that is basically if we can find a way to curtail what data is being collected and for what reason. It's not again. It, it, we're not saying that you shouldn't be collecting data. Data can be great. You know, I want to be clear on that. But I think the, the why and the how and how long needs to be uh, something that that's discussed. And you know, there's a difference between collecting all the data in the world and then having no real use for it, uh, as opposed to collecting all the data in the world and saying, okay, well, this is how we're going to deal with climate change. I, I think that most people would agree that we need as much data as we can to fight climate change. Whereas, if I want to sell you a pair of shoes, and maybe we we don't need to know who your grandmother is. Now. When it comes to data, um, there are some people who uh, actually think, yeah, maybe you know that's okay that people collect my data. Um, it's okay to be on Facebook and uh, and um, and share my posts with my friends, and it's okay to post some pictures and get them tagged with uh, with uh, 
uh, facial recognition software. Now, when it when it comes to data, if you think that's okay to predict your credit score from your Twitter account as much as it's okay to being traced from your house to the bookstore or or to the grocery store and back uh, with Google Maps, uh, as much as it's okay to become an accurate advertising target every time you use the web browser and navigating the Google Facebook lens, if all of this is okay to you, I don't think there is much we can do or say, right? Now, how would you, Brandon, advise this book to people who accept all of this? I would tell them I'm in I'm in the same boat. Um, I'm a little bit uh, of an extremist, and I live as publicly as possible. Uh, you know, my my actual cell phone number is on my website. People know from reading the privacy book what my porn fetish is. Um, so I mean, there's no like, you know, there, there are no secrets about me uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, which I don't, you know, I don't recommend it. Obviously, that doesn't work in all cases. But um, that's why I was, I'd say the important thing though is to know. Okay, let's say this is all true. Mm. But don't you want to know what, what's being done with that data? And if so, shouldn't you be getting paid for it? I mean, I know I hit on that point earlier, but I found once I once I say that, uh, once I say something like, you know, Facebook makes billions off of you, mm. why don't you get a cut out of that? Uh, I, the ears always pick up. So <laughs> we keep and be like, oh, it doesn't matter what they're collecting. The second you mention money and, and getting possibly compensated for it in some way, uh, for your data, I found that that generally is what gets people to pick up the book. Yeah, I mean, that that's absolutely a, such a normal concept. Like, if you make money because of my um, effort, uh, then I should I should get a cut of it. I mean, this is quite normal. I mean, this, right. this happens all the time. I don't know. I don't understand why not on social media or internet. It's, I don't know. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. People are are weird, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, people people are highly irrational. I, I think that the thing, some researchers. I mean, it's, again, it's another tangent. I'm researching a, a new book called uh, "Don't Be Evil: mm-hmm. A Guide A Guide to Being a Successful Human." And the core concept of the book is that people never behave in a logic or, or rational pattern. So, um, the reason why nobody stopped and and thought, "Oh, well, why don't I get paid for this?" Because mm-hmm. we don't things don't work that way. Uh, in reality, we we were very emotional. We make our decisions yeah. based on that. Yeah, and there is also a lot of uh, you know the the crowd effect. If if everybody does that, if if everybody's doing that, it it must be correct. It must be right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Monkey see, monkey do. Exactly. So well, now let's let's move a bit the conversation towards the 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 terms of service because I'm really curious sure. about how you define the terms of service. Now, okay. the companies that that provide a service like like Facebook are, are not stupid. Actually, they use very expensive lawyers to create and forge what is called. Terms of Service, TOS. Now, let's spend some words on that. Why is it equivalent of bullying? So the legal term that, that, that comes up whenever we discuss terms of services is called a contract by adhesion. And it's really just a fancy way of saying you don't have a choice. Uh, you either agree to use it mm. or you don't use you don't use Facebook. You, you don't use iTunes. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a completely one-sided transaction. It reminds me of uh, you know, my grandfather used to have a store in New York City back in the 30s and 40s, and the mob um, was running rampant back then. And it's like how they would go walk into the store and be like, you know, it would be a shame if something happened. Maybe you, you pay us and we protect you. Uh, you don't have a choice. If you don't pay that guy, he's back tomorrow with his, with his Tommy gun. We still have uh, that. You know, Southern Italy. Yeah, still yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same today. I mean, but 
that's that's the sort of the, the way the contract by adhesion could be described. Is it's completely lopsided, mm-hmm. and the problem is you're constantly bombarded with messaging on TV and popular media about using these platforms. You can't really opt out because mm-hmm. uh, opt out means not having access to your friends right. or not having access to your family. And people always go where other people are because you know monkey see monkey do. Mm-hmm. We're herd animals, so Facebook knows that, and that's why it's kind of like bullying because they, they they have something that that you want. And they're going to give it to you, but they're going to give it on terms that are just completely shitty. Right. And, and basically you have no choice. Right. Brandon, I'd love to help you sharing your message with as many people as possible. So the listeners of Data Science at Home can get a free copy of Social Media is Bullshit if they text you at, I'm going to say that, it's your sure. private number. That is a plus one, I guess. Yes, oh, yes, right. your country code's plus one. So plus one, six, four, six, three, three, one, eight, three, four, one. And they should send you a text with the word sheet rock without spaces. Um, you will find this in the, in, the, in the notes, in the podcast, uh, in the episode notes. And uh, um, of course, I have to guarantee that you delete the number and you don't keep a secret database <laughs> that you will sell around and make billions. All right. <laughs> That that's a deal. I, I told someone yesterday. I swear on my life, I will not uh, will not share your number with anyone. Um, <laughs> the bottom line is, is I'm too lazy to have a newsletter or do anything like that. And uh, I am just happy to send a PDF and then I just delete the text. One thing I will add though is, um, I, for my friends overseas, I found some of them don't want a text because it could be expensive. Mm-hmm. So they could also just email me at bj at bjmendelson.com with the word sheetrock in the subject line, and I'll, I'll send them the free PDF. Cool. I will uh, I will uh, make a post out of this with your contacts for for our listeners and uh, Brandon. It was really nice to have you here at Data Science at Home. I, I truly enjoyed. I hope that our listeners did too. Uh, maybe some folks at Google and Facebook did not uh, enjoy the show, <laughs> or likely they don't give a shit. <laughs> In any case, I think your effort to build awareness about privacy and security is is extremely important. I believe people need to be educated about what happens to their data and uh, their entire digital life. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I want to encourage people to check out the book by visiting yourprivacybook.com. And if they'd like to learn more about me, they can always visit bjmendelson.com. Thank you. Yep, thank you so much. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com.